0: Supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And if you like a text for a sermon, that's my text there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. My question is, do I believe that? Do you believe that this morning, that that is gain? That's what we're looking for. As I pondered this subject There was a song that came to my mind, and that's 635, and if you wish to, you can turn to that. Oh, holy Savior, friend on scene. The first verse, well, the the last verse is the one that, I guess, um, strikes me as the words that came to me. Though faith and hope are often tried, I ask not, need not, ought beside. And he's simply saying, I don't need anything in life but Christ. And he says, so safe, so calm, so satisfied. And those words always strike me as being powerful. And that's what I want in my life. So safe, so calm, so satisfied. The soul that clings to thee. When we get a hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a there's a place of security there, a real place of satisfaction in our life, a, a place that we want to be. What we tend to do in our life is to build into our lives false securities. Um, he says, O oh holy, save your friend unseen. Christ is the unseen friend, and it's a little hard to get a hold of that sometimes, and we We gravitate towards tangible securities to feel safe and calm. But when the, the, those false securities are going to let us down. I always think of a story of John Wesley. He was traveling across the ocean on an ocean liner and a terrible storm came up. And he was traveling with some Moravians and, and they thought the ship was going to sink. And he was scared. I mean, he was frightened. And he's with these Moravians. And they were so calm. They weren't troubled one bit. Their lives were in the hands of the Lord and they were safe and secure. And I asked my, I'd probably be scared to death. I mean, I'm, I'm not very brave. But that's what I want to be to my entire life, would be so surrendered to Christ that I'm at rest with whatever happens. And we've faced a lot of turmoil in the last year where are we are we safe and secure in Christ when I face a calamity then what and those false securities aren't going to help me when you face the end of your life then what then all of a sudden you're going to know what your life was about even as an older person to look back and say boy what I wasted my life in a lot of pursuits It didn't amount to anything, and I think that the the values stare you in the face as an older person more so than as a younger person. You're just sort of in pursuit of what's in front of your nose, maybe. And as an older person, when you reflect on your life, did I spend it for the Lord? or Was it just for myself? What are we supposed to do about this? What what's the answer to this thing? Well. Um, one of the great truths of Christianity is it, it's not about my feelings. And there were several times. There was one man in particular, and he was about 35 years old, and he had a stroke, and he's a he can't work, and his wife works, and he stays at home with his children. And I was trying to encourage him I guess I don't think he liked his role very well there's another one of my customers I fix appliances so if I talk about my customers that's what I'm about that he is a stay-at-home dad simply because his wife I think she's a registered nurse and makes more money than he does and so that's makes more sense for him to stay at home and I Told him about this situation. Well, it was just interesting. I was trying to encourage him be glad. And I, then I said, well, you know, in our time, people want to, it's good to at least one of you staying home with the children. In our time, they want to put them in a daycare center. And I said, I don't think he was too convinced of what I was saying to him. But then I told him, I said, that's what I like about giving my life to Christ. There's many things in life that they just don't make sense. But Jesus said to do it, and I've done them, and it worked out. And not because I was so smart. And to me, that's one of the greatest truths of Christianity, is simply obedience to Christ and what he says, whether it makes sense or not. There was another fellow that came to our church. He was a seeker. And he has... I'm not sure where all that will go. That's a long, interesting story. But he said... And he he knows he's Bible, and there's many things interesting about him. But he has rental properties. Well, he says, it just doesn't work. Some of Jesus' teachings on this about taking to court. If you have rental properties, you just have to take them to court sometimes. And I thought, wait a minute. You know, Jesus said, you know, does it work in our time, or was that just back then? There's so many things like that. And people somehow say, My time and my circumstances are different now. Are they? No. Jesus' words are just as true as they've ever been. And they are good for my time, for me, and for us all. So that's one of the, uh, just a full surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Obedience to his commands, to his word, and to his spirit. Doesn't always make sense, but it's true. And we have to get a hold of that. And that's where I want to see this verse here. I'm not sure if I fully get a hold of that, but it's true. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Full surrender to Christ. This is a context of money here, but I'm going to look at it probably in a broader sense of a contented life, a contented heart. Safe, calm, and satisfied. You go to the grocery store and you're really hungry. I mean, you want to just buy everything there is. Everything looks good and you, even some things that maybe you really don't like, but you want to buy, you want to buy, get everything. But you go there with a full stomach, you've just eaten, you know. You get your list out and you buy the necessities, you buy what's necessary. And somehow, to me, when a person is full of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a satisfied person. Empty souls, are just seeking, searching for something. There's too much of that today. Just a total unrest. Something. There's something somewhere for me to satisfy my longing. I was going to look this up and I didn't, but I think it was Augustine that said, we are a creation of God. God made us with a soul that can be satisfied with nothing but himself. So we've got to have Christ to satisfy that. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is an unrest in your soul because that's how you were designed by God. And we need to fill it with Christ. Contentment is not in the circumstances of life. Contentment is knowing Christ. And our world is empty and the advertising world takes advantage of that you need this, and you need that. You need, this will make you happy. This will just, you know, you need a vacation. You need this. This is what's going to make you happy. And it's just not true. And yet we, we believe there are lies, and we buy more stuff than we need, and trying to find it at times. Maybe not, we don't realize that, but maybe, you know, if I just had this. Unrest in a person does not make a pleasant companion. He's not happy with himself, he's not settled, and it just does not make a, a pleasant brother or sister to connect with. I'm convinced, and one brother shared that, about making deliberate decisions, and that, that's when I'm convinced that if, to go on this path of finding Christ will be that of deliberate and willful decisions. And um, and I won't be able again to define an absolute on all this, especially when it comes to money. And some of the uh, brothers talked about, we wrestled through some of this. That's where we live, how we use our money. And for me to give it a, a clear, uh, exact, this is how you should do it, I can't. It was interesting that list in Matthew 25. We did this and this and this. It's more than doing just this and this and this. It's being a servant to Christ. and appreciated the testimony of the brother. Just learning to mind the spirit. And people have used that minding the spirit to do anything they want to. And I'm not quite there either. But uh, we do have to sense in a real way what God wants us to know. I Lately I've been on thinking about the law of God. The beauty of the law of God. The, uh, and for a Christian, in Romans 7, he walks in the newness of the Spirit. He's desperate to know what that law means. God gives us a law in a written, but we as Christians want to understand what that law means for us. Let's read um, verses 7 through, um, let's read through 16 for we brought nothing into this world and certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment let us be therewith content but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown the men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil while some which while some coveted after They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus who before Pontus Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Probably the one security we tend to build into our life more than anything, the riches. Riches sort of gives you a sense of security. Um, and it's just part of our DNA makeup, I think, to possess, to have. It's just part of the human nature to want to secure ourselves with riches we talk about getting ahead i think that was mentioned this morning what does it mean to get ahead i guess get the house paid off and get a little bit of a cushion. you always want to get ahead all oh, the comment was made about it you know if you go to faith mission you're going to lose a couple good years there we could get ahead you could get advanced you know if you go on a mission trip you know you you're going to lose out. And you won't get ahead. You'll be an old man before you get your house. You maybe you won't even buy, be able to buy a house. What does Jesus say here? Or what's the, These are the words of Jesus, but Paul is writing it. Godliness with contentment is getting ahead. That's getting ahead. That's great gain. And we need to wrap our head around that somehow and believe that. I'm telling myself that. Believe that. That's what he's saying here that's what we want to look at in a real way and uh, try to understand that. And I could talk a lot on materialism. Jesus simply said you can't serve God and mammon and how that all works out. Do I believe that contentment is great gain? Verse 5, he talks about the person who's supposing they gain his godliness from such withdrawal thyself. There was an individual who came to St. Thomas to share, and he was going on about how he gave his heart to the Lord, he lived for the Lord, and the Lord just started blessing him. And he slicked through that one so fast, I'll never mind, one million, two million, seven million, ten million. <laughs> whoa here. Well, he was done with us. If you weren't worth several billion, you probably weren't weren't being blessed from the Lord. Maybe you weren't as godly as you should be. be. Listen, we have enough struggle keeping our priorities straight. We don't need that kind of teaching. And I'm going to talk a little more about that a little bit later. Um, But we need to keep a clear focus on eternal values. And I hope when you're done here this morning that we can see... A little bit. What my life should be about: service, service for the Lord, and and that's great game. There was a man I talked to the other another of my customers, and he was going on about well, he's going to have to go back to work because he didn't win the seven hundred eighty million Powerball or something. I didn't even know it was there, but it must still be pretty high. I don't know anything about that, but and I said, you know. All that I do is make your life miserable. and cause you all kinds of difficulties and problems. And why? Well, no, but I'd like to find out for myself. <laughs> and How many of us are in that place? Riches are dangerous. Riches will destroy your life. Well, I'd like to find out for myself, you know. But does it hit us? You know, I got a letter from these solar panel people. And I hear you can make like between 600 and 1400 dollars an acre per year, and I calculated that to be about 40 to 100 thousand a year for me. You know, it's passive income. What is passive income? Passive income, I guess, is when you can sit my lazy boy and just collect it. You know, You don't have to work anymore. And it's like this man; he has to go back to work. But you know what? What is better than being able to work? I mean, it's part of our structure of being worthwhile and doing something. Service is, I mean, do you want to destroy your life? But you know, those things press upon us. Um, Right now, I don't know you people and what you do. I know you people, but I don't know how you live. So when I talk, don't, don't worry about me. But right now, the best thing would be to sell puppies. I mean, puppies are worth several thousand dollars a piece. If you sell puppies, that's alright. But I mean, why not get into it? And Mennonites are the finest people for seeing bargains and, and I don't know if it's cause their eye is on it, but if they're just industrious, but whatever. I'm saying, there's ventures out there that you can get rich, and, and if your eye is on getting rich, I'm, wait a minute, if it's, so, I, and I'm gonna throw the, some of this stuff out, but I'm just saying that, what is my pursuit, what is my goal, and what is my aim? And they tell me, you can build a million dollar chicken house, Set it up with a contract for eight, ten years, guaranteed payments. Well, why not do that? Okay, I'm just throwing out. I tell one guy he was he RA was struggling with his finance and he was going on about this. And I said, Why don't you build one? Well, he said, I don't have any land to put it on. I said, All right. So we are living in a land of opportunity. We can get ahead. Do you know what? We read in Revelation about the latest in church. You're rich. You're increased with goods. And you say we have need of nothing. And you don't know that you're poor, wretched, miserable. You're in bad shape and you can't see. You can't really see what's real. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you can see what's real. And we live in a very wealthy time, very prosperous time, let's be careful the dangers, of riches are there staring us in the face what is my focus in life what is my goal and what is my aim and it seems like we tend to be in a losing battle with apostasy, it's just all around us, is it not because we are wealthy, because it has possessed us, it has taken a hold of us Parents, your children will know what your pursuit is. call this morning is to examine your motivation, your goal, and your pursuit. Your children will pick up on that. Whether you say it or not, they'll know what your pursuit is. And even maybe we can handle some of this, but can our children handle this affluence? It seems like they're affected by it. Arrogancy, a lot of that stuff. Several ideas, not giving you any absolute it's on these situations, but I, I think that we should avoid high-risk ventures. We should say no to them. I think we should be very careful about the idea of easy money. And someone has said that if it's... Um, it's too good to be true. It probably is. Be very careful of that idea. And if it takes advantage of others, it's definitely wrong. And if you need to do it quick before the opportunity is gone, you better just steer clear of those kind. Don't make any hasty decisions on that. Riches are very dangerous. Verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some, and there's where we always put it, some and many will fall into these things. But not me, not me. I've, I've got this all under my control. Not me. Where is my goal? Where is my aim? Let's examine our lives. Um, Covetousness is is a real issue. If you have a problem with drinking or a problem with smoking and you can kick that habit, kick it by the grace of God and the Spirit of God and you're done with it, it's gone. Covetousness, let's, Acknowledge the fact that it's there. You don't just be gone with it. Um, it's a little like lust. It's a little like pride. How many of you kicked the pride issue? <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> I'll tell you what. There, there, I think that a Christian needs to acknowledge when when pride is, wants to rear its ugly head, hey, that's pride, say no to it. There was a book about dealing with lust in our lives, and it said, "Not a hint of lust." Now wait a minute. We need to identify lust and say, "Done with it. I don't want I'm not going that road." Covetousness is something that hits us, and it hits us. We need to identify it. No, that's a covetous thought. I'm not going to let that brew in my mind, and I'm not. I'm going to deal with it. Am I being covetous? And I think it's a deliberate action. Colossians 3. If you then be risen with Christ, set your things, set your affections on things above. It's a deliberate choice. I am going to set my affection on things above. Verse 18. Well, he says in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. There's the two dangers. You become high-minded and you tend to trust in them. And we need to but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. They do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And that's the idea. Let's focus on service for the Lord to do good to others. I want to make comment about verse... um, 15 which in his time he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate the king of kings and lord of lords probably at the very root and I um, there's a lot here that I'm probably missing but let me back up a little bit I I need to make comment about verse 11 but thou man of God flee these things what things I mean, he just got done talking about riches. Flee. Run from these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. We are going to have to fight this fight in life to win. That's our battle. And we have to fight against that tendency to be covetous, the tendency to go after that. And then we talked about the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's probably at the root of our thinking and our understanding that God is God. He's in control of this whole thing. And He, we need to um, give it all to Him. He understands our needs better than we do ourselves. The one verse in a practical way yet on riches is in First John 3. I'm just going to read that one. That one always troubles me. And I can tell you that, you know, get rid of your riches. And I have enough of them to deal with myself. So I'm not (laughs) sure if I have figured this all out. First John three thirteen Marvel not, my brethren if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. We all love our brethren. We all we're non resistant people. We love our enemies, we love everybody. Whoso hath hateth his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. John writes with a Sharp pen. He's so black and white and he doesn't beat around the bush. You're a murderer if you hate your brother. Then he says this. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him when we see our brother have need and we help him. And we're living in a time where I know more brethren than just those down the street. I know brethren from all over the world and I get these newsletters from CAM of all these people. How do I look at that and how do I deal with that? How do I run my business and how do I manage all that and give the proper amount and what I keep? And we need to, I just want to challenge myself and all of us together on the whole thing to look at it carefully. Another aspect of, of riches and another act. he says that the love of money is the root of all evil There are many things that come out of this whole perspective as to the security, the sense of who I am. And part of that is the pride of life. A person that has riches can demonstrate that he's a... Sometimes our our minds think in that aspect just like the, the world thinks in the sense that you see a man that's well to do. He's a good man. He's an honorable man. He's a noble man because he's able to manage his money with, that's our mindset. We need to be very careful of that mindset. John Martin shared about a man when he was growing up as a boy. He was a neighbor. Man was a farmer. And sometimes, I know this isn't Lancaster County, but this is Lebanon County. It's just about like us. So, <laughs> and Franklin County. We're not any more rights than anybody else. But we don't quite have the pressure that this had. This farmer just was not one of those top-notch farmers. I mean, he just did not keep after things quite the way he should. We are a hero. And John he just did not rate. And then John said, I went to CLP to work. And I guess somehow he saw the people that made donations to CLP and all once he said... This man was pouring money into CLP. I guess he decided that the the printed literature needed to get out to people and he was pouring tons of money into CLP. He said I got a total different perspective of this man. We need to be very careful as to what we gauge a man's worth. Is it by how wealthy is are we placing that as a high value? Let's be very careful about that. And then, also, am I able to live out that the gospel service and not have to reach that high-image thing? I remember years ago, we had an old Toyota station wagon. And we were traveling with our family. It was probably too full and we needed another vehicle. We couldn't. And we were going to Washington to the zoo, I think. And I saw in my rearview mirror a guy coming up from another church, and he was a little more prosperous than I was, and he had a nice vehicle. And this old Toyota had some leaky oil leak from the valve covers that would get on the uh, glass manifold, and then it, it would smoke. And wouldn't you know about that time, we got in a traffic jam. This guy comes up alongside of me and stops. And when you stop, that's when the smoke comes up. And I'm sitting there in my old flavor of a car. And he's in there. He's nice vehicle. And the smoke comes <laughs> up around the hood. I was so embarrassed. Why was I embarrassed? It had to do with image. I was afraid he'd look at me as some simpleton that didn't take care of my family and didn't provide for them. That's the pressure we face that we ought not to face. When you're in service for God, you live for God and don't worry about what everybody thinks about you. You help to reduce that kind of pressure. If I would go, I don't know you again, but if I would go to the poorest house here and things weren't just tea. Now, it's one thing if you are just lazy. I don't give respect for just laziness. But listen, if you've invested your time in service for the Lord, you've, you've decided to have a family for the Lord. And it's taking all your money for your family. Listen to me. That's noble. And I want to be a person who give you honor for that. I want to... Judge you as Christ would judge that situation and give honor to that. We face a lot of pressure. And sometimes that pressure is to not have children because I can't keep my image up there where it belongs. That's wrong. It's dead wrong. It's a wrong part of values and understanding contentment. You need to be content when you are doing God's service. That's, that's real contentment. And you help that situation by being content to opt in our own desire for image, our own desire for security pushes, my discontent pushes other people into a discontent. I think I have some of this later that I'm going to share. I'll just wait till I get there. I always hate when preachers say I'll share that later, and they never do, so I'm hoping. Okay, I'd like to look at this first section again. Where he says, uh, um, to, let me read it again. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, and that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Now that is a, that word servant has to do with being a slave. Now that just is a little hard for our American mentality to be subject to your slave owner. And he talks about, then if you have a believing master, just be glad you have a believing master and submit to him. One of the things that is um, part of this finding security in Christ is just the full surrender of everything I am, I have to him. Let him be Lord and master. So if you're a slave owned by someone else, you just quietly do him service and be very happy to do that for him. The Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights to these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As Christians... Do we have a right to life? No. Do we have a right to liberty? No. But the only one we can have is the pursuit of happiness. And we don't know how to pursue that. <laughs> but that is not true. The pursuit of happiness is just a full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't understand that. And we demand our rights to often, our rights, our our entitlement. We this I deserve this, a full surrender, giving it all up to Him is where we will find a place of total contentment in Christ. Just a full surrender to Him. John the Baptist. What do you tell the soldiers or the yeah do no violence, be content with your wages. be content with your wages. We need to have the mindset it's not my life, but it's Christ. every circumstance in my life will be okay. One of my favorite verses in Philippians two verse thirteen for it is God, which worketh in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. It's the finest place. And w- the next verse. What is it? Verse 13. 14. 15. It well, doesn't matter. 14. Do all things without murmuring. I can't even say that. And disputing. If God is working in your life, he will bring to you circumstances that will mold you and shape you and will brother his kingdom. Don't complain about it. The next verse says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Shine forth as lights in the world. I'd like to look at this first section as a very serious thing of how we view our personal rights. Um, When he says about believing masters, we could even talk about employers and employees. And he says, be glad you have a believing master because he's going to treat you better than the other masters will. He's a Christian. And don't ask me to explain quite all that. Someone asked me if I would help the slaves to escape. That's a good question. I'll tell you what. If they were being persecuted, I think I ought to help them to escape. But, you know, when you read the scriptures, it doesn't get that direction. You just submit where you're at, your place in life, and just bend to them. But he says here in verse 2, These things teach and exhort a contentment to your master. It's a very serious thing there. And then he says in, in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, this is not Paul's writing. It is Paul's writing. But he's telling you what Jesus said about this situation. And to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Is he talking about Slaves being content with their master? This is the words of the Lord Jesus. Be content with this type of thing. And again, I I just like how he makes this so absolute. What's he say then in verse 5? Verse 4. If, if he can, doesn't teach this, he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strives for it. He's a fool. My, my Bible interprets that as a fool. Now, there was a preacher that taught this one time. And he said, if you're making $12 an hour, and you could be making $14 an hour, you are robbing God of that $2 an hour that you could be making. Now, was he teaching com- contentment? or are you living up to your full potential, the money you can make? Huh? <laughs> if you could be making more, are you robbing God? I don't think he's teaching this kind of thing. I think he's saying, be content. I charge $50 for a service call, and some of the others are charging 60 and 70 and 90 Am I robbing God? Or maybe I'd be robbing my customers. I'm not sure. But I don't think I'm robbing God. I think God calls me to be content with my wages. You know, that battle goes on with employees and employers all the time. And I think employees should be very happy with their wages. How many of you have been happy with your wages until you found out what your neighbor was making? And then all at once, well, I'm getting ripped off. Were you? I thought you were happy with your wages. And employers, they all make tons of money and take advantage of us employees. Well, do they? They have the stress. Some people have gone off into their own business and found out that the stress and stuff wasn't worth it. There's days when I wish I was working for someone and be content with my ways and not have to... Do my own advantage of that, and listen to the customers. But you know, that's the way it always is, employers. But listen, I think as you're, if you're a Christian employer, you should be giving your employee a good wage. And if you're um, getting rich off of them, I think you should stop it. You should should be a fair equality. My son was roofing, and. Somehow his employee made more money than he did, and the uh, accountant said, Well, you're not going to make it in business. You act like this, he said. But it, it was, that was the sideline there. Listen, let's not press people into discontent. We have enough struggle with that. He said, and I believe that, it, that discontent produces envy, strife, railing, evil surmising. We should be people that help to Promote contentment by a contented life. I think of my father. And my mom and dad had a, a a Mega, an Oldsmobile, I think it was. And my mom was driving it. And she couldn't get stopped and rear-ended another vehicle. And she said the brakes weren't any good. The car was bad. And she wanted another car. And I think it was she didn't push the brake hard enough. And because I tried it out. It seemed to work Okay. That became my dad's work car then, and they got another car. And he had his garden over at our farm, and he would come over with his old Omega Oldsmobile and put his crates in the back seat, and he had the trunk was shot. He had to put a stick in there to prop the lid up. And, and I just thought, why wouldn't you get yourself a nice pickup, something that would be handy for you, I mean, you've got the money, why not just buy a pickup? And when I look back on that, <laughs> he was happy and content. To me, I want to pass that on to my children. If I have the money to buy a nice pickup that was convenient, and this worked, things work at sometimes. It's like one fellow said, he wants a new cell phone, he's tired of this one. Well, doesn't it work? And yeah, it works, I just want another one listen, if it's workable, if it does the job, let's learn contentment and let's be an example of contentment to other people. And that's my father's legacy, legacy to me. He was very content and he was very happy in his situation. How often in, in our laundry room there, the there were... Fluorescent lights, the ballast went bad. You you would have to stand there and flip the switch to get the things to come on. One of them finally quit working. So I went to town and got these nice LED lights. And, I mean, they are nice. They just brighten everything up. And then I was out in my shop, and my son has the other half of the shop. He has business there. And he put six LED lights up there. I have eight of them in mine. And when I built that shop, I went to find the finest lights there could be. His or his six are so much brighter than my eight. And all at once, I can't see in there anymore. I need new LED lights in there. Um, am I content? And I, when I say this, there is a practical thing that we have to face in life. But am I content? Am I happy in my situation? Am I safe, calm, and satisfied in Christ? Rejoicing in the Lord, or is this just discontent? Nothing's right, nothing's the way it should be. I got up a little early I don't know what time I'm supposed to quit, but it, I'm making use of my time Maybe some listen to me the issue that we face is um am I full of christ i am that's where I want to be let's read um, twenty. To 21, chapter 6, 20 to 21. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Now, I was going to look at some of those other verses in that song. Um, maybe I'll just read over them. And and I'd like i say this before, maybe at the end, if it would be okay, we could sing this song. And as you sing the song, the commitment you make, pay carefully attention to that. Or are you able to do that? And I'll just read over it. Oh, Holy Savior, friend on scene, since on thine arm thou bidst me lean, help me throughout life's changing scenes by faith to cling to thee. And I think about the COVID thing and all the government thing, confidence and security. You know, if you put your security in our government and our military, it is pretty shaky to put your security in such a thing as that. And um, I just read an article from A.W. Tozer and I think I, he was an old, He was a, he's a sharp writer. And I don't read all of his stuff, but I think he passed away in the 60s. But he ends this article, and I'll just read some of it. The hope being voiced by many that the nations will accept the ethics of Jesus, disarm and live like brothers is utterly unrealistic and naive. I thought that was so powerful. In the first place, the teaching of Jesus were never intended for the nations of the Of the world. Our Lord sent his followers into all the world to make and baptize disciples. These disciples were to be taught to observe the commandments of Christ. They would thus become a minority group, a peculiar people in the world, but not of it. Sometimes tolerated, but more often despised and persecuted. And history demonstrates that this is exactly what happened whenever groups of people took the gospel seriously. I'm not sure about this phrase, but to expect a once-born nation's conduct possible only to the regenerated, purified, spirit-led followers of Christ is to confuse the truth of Christianity and hope for the impossible. In the scriptures, the nations of the earth are symbolized by the lion, the bear, and the leopard. Christians, in sharp contrast, are likened to peaceful sheep in the midst of wolves who manage to stay alive only by keeping close to the shepherd. If the sheep will not act like the bear, why should we expect the bear to act like the sheep? And this is what he ends up with. It might be well for us Christians, and I'm talking to myself, to listen less to the news commentators' and more to the voice of the Spirit. And I think we better be very careful of our involvement in some of this that's going on. It's a different kingdom. We are not of that kingdom. But anyhow, back to the song, Help Me Throughout Life's Changing Scene by Faith to Cling to Thee. And that's back to the, that God is the only pulsing King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He has it all in His control, and He can manage all this better than me, and I just need to rest in Him. Verse 2, blessed with communion so divine. And that's what will fill up the emptiness. And we have that blessed communion with Christ. And then he says, take what thou wilt. Shall I repine? I'm not going to complain. you take it because whatever needs to go in my life, I want communion with Christ more than anything else. That is utmost. That is what I want. And I, whatever it takes, Lord, you take it from me. When as the branch is to the vine, my soul may cling to thee. What though the world deceitful prove and earthly friends and hopes remove. With patient, uncomplaining love still would I cling to thee. And already read the last verse, so safe, so calm. When earthly friends, confidence. Confidence in a friend. What's it say? It's in Proverbs. (laughs) It's like a... You can look that one up. And When a friend deceives you and lets you down. It's a painful thing. Okay. Let's be full of Christ. And and probably... um, I've, I've taught a lot about what not to do. Listen. Be a student of the Word. There was a story... The Gypsy Smith um, story in the C.A.M. No, besides Stillwater's paper that came about Gypsy Smith. I don't know if you read it or not, but Gypsy Smith said that this woman came up to him and and she said, "Listen, for ten years now I've been traveling all over the country, listening to preachers everywhere, seeking to find the truth and seeking to find Christ." And and Gypsy Smith looked at her and said, "Listen." If you've been looking for 10 years, you're seeking Christ for 10 years and Christ is seeking you, there's something wrong here. You need to just get into your closet and surrender it all to Him and you'll meet there within five minutes, he said, Listen, do we really want Christ in our life? Are we really seeking or are we empty and running all over the place trying to find something to fill up that empty spot in our in our lives? obedience, and surrender to Christ. Jesus told a story in Matthew 12:43, And I'm not sure if I understand all what he was saying there. But there was an unclean spirit went out of a man. And he walked around in dry places, whatever all that meant. He walked around in dry places seeking a rest. And he couldn't find any. So he goes back to his house. When I read that again, it just, you know, it came out of this man. His house, his abode was in this man. And he finds this house swept, clean, garnished, all set in order. And he goes and he gets seven other spirits worse than he is. And goes back and dwells in that man. And the end of that man is worse than the beginning. Again. Your life is like a vacuum that will take something in. If it's not filled with Christ, it's going to be filled with something else. You don't want that filled with what is not right. There's a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, but a famine of hearing the word of God. And I don't believe that we have a famine in our our land of hearing the word of God. The famine in our land is obedience and doing the will of Christ. And too often, so much hearing of the word of God is destroying us because we don't obey it and we become hardened to it. One of the false securities, one of the things that we fill up our lives with sometimes is a form of Christianity that is just a form and we're empty inside. And you could talk about different groups maybe come to your mind. Don't do that. Ask myself, ask ourselves, am I a form or am I full of Christ? If you're just a form of Christianity, you have laid yourself open to all kinds of deception and all kinds of problems. People who are empty of the real truth, of the real thing, tend to be argumentative. There was an early church father that said he can listen to two people arguing about something and he can tell which which one's right and which one's wrong. The person who knows the truth and knows what he's talking about doesn't have to get angry with the other person. The person that gets angry doesn't know what he's talking about. If I told you that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and you came to me after the service and said, You're all wrong. 2 plus 2 is 5. You think I would argue with him? I'd look at him and say, You're... You're not too right, are you? No, I wouldn't say that. I might I might even take some blocks out and try to explain them here. See, if you have two blocks here and you add two more blocks, this, this is four blocks. And then after two or three times, and this is a scriptural thing, you just let them go. Because they don't want to know the truth. That's happened sometimes. When we know the truth and we have confidence in truth, we can share it without having to argue about it. Too much of the battle, too much of the fighting is because we don't know. We were in the room, a soup kitchen there, and, and somehow we got on divorce and remarriage, and a man came up to me and said, I don't believe like you. And I said, well, you know. That's what this Bible says. That's the truth of the Scripture. I think of people fighting over eschatology and it's probably the, neither one of them know the truth of the matter. Let's guard... We need to be filled with Christ. Empty people have no faith and they have a lot of fears. I should have, I should have uh, went on my verses here a little more in 20 and 21. He says, avoid profane, avoid profane and vain babblings. A uh, profane is that which is against God and babblings is just uh, nonsense. And then he talks about oppositions of science, falsely so called, and I'll talk about that a little later, but just oppositions, um, knowledge that opposes the truth of God, science that opposes the truth of God. But I think of, um, fears. There's a lot of fears in our world, and there's too many, too much fear in Christianity because. We don 't know the truth, and if you don't know the truth, you're going to replace it with fears. There's, there's a lot of mystery in life. I mean, have, maybe you people here have figured it all out. Life is full of mystery. You give that to God, who has that all in His control. He has taught us what we need to know, and we need to when it's all said and done, we are going to have to trust God for many things and, and rest in that. Second Timothy. Now, right after he finishes this, we, and and I don't know how the first Timothy and second Timothy is connected, if that was two separate books, but he talks about the unfeigned faith, the strong faith that dwelt in your lowest and Eunice, one of the two, grandma or mom or what it was, and it's in you also that unfeigned faith. If you don't have faith, you're going to have fears. And then in verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And again, I'm away from home. I can say what I want to say. Fears cause stress, emotional problems, and I'm going to let it all go right there. Okay? God does not intend for us to have vicious fears that destroy us. Maybe I'll add this too. <laughs> and out of women tend to run more on fears. And an out of order home is going to operate more on the emotions rather than on the truth. Children who are not surrendered to mom and dad have fears because it rests on them. Wives that do not rest in their husband have fears because they're not trusting their husband. Men who do not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have fears because they're not trusting and they're not surrendered. It's because we don't know the truth too often. I see this running in cycles. Um, You have people, um, backward nations, that don't have knowledge of that. And they look at the sun, the moon, the thunder... And it's, they're scared. So they offer their children a sacrifice. They do strange things because they don't know. We, the people, have knowledge. We have science now, too. And, and I see us moving back because science has not given us answer to life's issues. You know that the earth was made a billion years ago. Now, if they would have said 999,950, believe them, but a billion, they don't know and you came from an ape. A lot of this stuff is not settling well. It's not giving answers to people. And they're turning back to this stuff. In my mind, many of them are going back to things. And now I'm really getting into... And then you get these... um Oh, what do you call them? Conspiracy theories and stuff. You get all this wild ideas because... Don't know. I'm afraid. And you come up with all these wild stories and we could talk about vaccines, natural foods. (laughs) And we are getting wacko in some of this stuff. We need to settle down, get back to the the scripture and rest in the Lord. We're causing, it causes all kinds of, uh, difficulties, people who are empty, people who don't understand. And I'm going to Second uh, Thessalonians, I'm, I'm not going to turn to that, but that's a powerful thing where it says that God will send them strong delusions that they will believe a lie. That's a scary verse. But it says because they did not love the truth. Listen, if the truth is before your eyes, And you don't love it and you're not seeking Christ and you're not seeking the real truth. Somehow, if I could just put a want to in everybody's heart to just want to know the truth, just love the truth and go to the word of God and find what it says. I don't I think we don't know the word of God like we should. Let's love the truth. Let's love this. I'm going to simply read Isaiah 55, 1 to 13 in closing. This is a powerful scripture. This is free to us all. Surrender and obedience to Christ is the key here. I'm just going to read it without making further comment. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money me buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. To know Christ and experience Christ, it doesn't cost you anything. It costs you everything to surrender everything to Him. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Are you going to work hard all your life for something that isn't important and something that doesn't count? No. The sooner you understand that, the further ahead you are. How many old people, I always say, there's nothing more miserable than an old man sitting in his rocking chair with his sacks of gold beside him. He has no friends because he done broke all this down and he's the most miserable creature in the whole world. Why are you going to spend your whole life for something that's not important and doesn't satisfy. Seek what is true. Hearken diligently unto me and, and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. There it is. The soul. Your soul is what needs to be filled with the goodness of Christ, with service, with surrender and obedience. The fatness of your soul Incline your ear and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even in the sure mercies of David, behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Holy, because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. We desperately need to seek the Lord. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. He will take us right where we are. And he, I said I was going to read this and not make any comments and here I am making comments. I'm sorry. I didn't tell you the truth on that. I got carried away there. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord. And I can't help but make a comment there. Let's learn that. I don't think like God but I want to begin to think like God thinks and I want to realize that contentment is great gain. I want to make that comment. Well, I'll get that. No, I want to finish here. When it says godliness with contentment is great gain, I like to think that godliness is contentment. A person is full of Christ is content. Now, let me finish here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven, and returneth not hither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in the singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Lord bless you. Thank you for your attention.